0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writingexcuses. Season 14. Episode 45.
1: This is Writing Excuses Economics. 15 minutes long. Because you're
2: in a hurry. And we're not that smart.
3: I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. I'm Mahatab. This is a really hard one to not be that smart on, because there are a lot of very smart <laughs> economists out there, um, and we have touched on economics a lot in various podcasts in the past. Uh, we want to talk about how, as a writer, you consider economics in your world building specifically. Um, so, can we let, let's get a kind of a foundation here? What do we mean by this? What do we mean by economics? Uh, The more I study economics, the more I realize that economists see everything as economics, Mm -hmm. which is basically how every discipline is when you really drill into it. Um, I was talking to a friend who studies math. He's like, oh, math is really philosophy, which is really the the existence of everything. So math is everything. Well, economics is everything. When when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like economics.
2: I have a really good – Definition okay, by go. Lionel Charles Robbins, who's a British economist, and this was in the 1930s. But he said he defined economics as the science which studies human behavior as a relationship between ends and scarce means which have alternate uses. That's
0: and I a found really good, that was yeah. a
2: really good because if you have alternate uses, that's where the economics I, come I about. like that
4: because um, when when you talk about—when you talk about economy— most people think money mm-hmm. um, when you say the word money somebody in the room is going to remember that or, you know time is money well time is a scarce resource the economy of i am going to spend a t- spend time on a thing so you don't have to spend time on a thing so you're going to spend time on a thing so i don't have to spend time on it and then the two of us are going to trade things, and now somehow we've each gotten more than if we tried to spend all of our time on one thing. Uh, And that is the whole market, that is the whole market of uh, uh, buying things with real money that only exist in video games. Somebody spent 20 hours playing for it, and now they sell it to you, and now you have it without
3: having spent the time. Because you spent your time doing something at which you are really good and therefore, got paid for that, and spent a fraction of that on someone else's time doing yeah. something at which they yeah. are very good I, I love in your definition uh, that not it talks my, about
2: but w- it's a good whoever one. Yes. I remember
1: your name and not his okay. um, I love that it talks about different resources with alternate uses, you know because wood, for example, if the only thing we used wood for was to build a house, then it wouldn't wood it would just be house points and you have to accrue enough house points and then you have a house but wood can also be used for weapons wood can also mm-hmm. be lit on fire to make ca- fires and things you and burn so-
4: your house points what
1: <laughs> it can also be a beautiful thing as a tree yeah that We and enjoy. just pr- want to preserve yeah. the forest mm-hmm. and so when you start thinking about you know not just that i need to accrue enough points to make this thing but how am i going to spend these points because there's so many different things to spend them on
3: I really like, in economics, the study of incentives, um, specifically how human beings are motivated by different things um, and these points, how different points motivate people in different ways and how we can be motivated by different levels of points in different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, That is all really interesting to me. And I think it plays into storytelling really well because the economics of uh, how a a character values something – Versus how someone else in the team or an antagonist values that thing is great, rife for storytelling opportunities.
4: yeah, the the place where the place where I think world building can fall flat on economics is if uh, if you try and make it all logical in ways that all of the players are acting as if they have all of the information. And, you know, fundamentally, a great example is, you know, the Pentagon paying $1,200 for a hammer. Where does a $1,200 hammer comes, come from? Well, in part, it can come from the guy who's building the spreadsheet, and he's told, look, we're charging a million dollars for this thing. Add up all the stuff. And he gets to the end, and he's like, God, I'm $1,200 short, but they require everything to be line item. I'm just going to raise the price of the hammer. Okay. It's not a $1,200 hammer. It's $1,200 of the guy building the spreadsheet not caring and knowing that nobody's going to read this until it's too late. And then they'll be making fun of the Pentagon
3: instead of the subcontractor. So as you're building a fantasy or science fiction culture, um, do you spend time on the economics, um, the, like the raw economics, the monetary system? Um, how do you decide how much things are worth in your cultures that you, are, that you are world building. I
1: don't spend a ton of time on value mm-hmm. so much as figuring out what people do and why. So, like, what do you do for a living? Is it important that this is a community of farmers or of ranchers or of fishermen or whatever it's going to be? Because then that tells me something economically about the society and about their standard of living and so on. It doesn't matter to me as much how much a
3: meal costs— as knowing where their money comes from. I really like uh, fantastical resources um, in fantasy books. We're gonna do an entire podcast on that in a couple of weeks. Um, I like tying my economics to something that is scarce in a fantasy world that we just don't even have in our world Uh, because then it lets me start asking these questions about, well, how would they value this thing? How would we value this thing if we had it? If someone could actually cast a spell and make something materialize, What does that do to the value of the thing um, or the value of the person who can make that thing? Those things um, in fantasy are what—part of what draws me to fantasy is that Mm -hmm. we can ask these questions that can't really be asked in the real world because it's just impossible.
4: Classic example is the the Dungeons and Dragons spell, Continual Light, which I think had a thousand gold piece material cost, but guys, it's Continual Light for a thousand gold pieces— you can make a light that will never go out. We're going to find enough 1,000 <laughs> gold pieces that in five or six generations, nobody needs candles. And so by the time we've gotten to this point, uh, yeah, your economy, your economy is not centering around how do we find light. There may be other things that are scarce, but but light isn't one of them. Yeah, and
3: it's easy to kind of make fun of games sometimes because they're building their system to play a oh, game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you are writers, listeners, and so you your job is not to ask what makes a good game. Your job is to ask what's going to make an interesting extrapolation by changing our culture in some interesting way. Yeah, I was working on a fantasy setting several years ago
1: in which I wanted to have magic essentially just be energy. Like, wizards could channel energy. And realized as I got deeper and deeper into it that there was no use for a wizard that outweighed the value of just plugging them into a power station somewhere. Which, you know, is a cool story idea of its Mm -hmm. own, and if that's the direction you want to go, then that's awesome. But, you know, taking the time to think about these things helps you get a sense of what, you know, like Howard was saying, what the scarcity really is, what the economy really looks like with this thing you've invented.
3: There's a famous SMBC, the webcomic, um, that uh, it postulates that the greatest good Superman could do if he really exists would be just to run really fast on a treadmill or push <laughs> a thing to create mm-hmm. boundless electricity for the world and takes that to uh, ridiculous lengths. But it is, does make you think, huh, you know— Rather than saving people, if Superman were pushing a turbine, it actually would do greater good for the world.
4: I think it was Terry Pratchett who... There was a dwarven artifact, which is a a pair of rectangular blocks, which one of them rotates in, uh, in relation to the other. And you cannot stop them from doing that. And so what you do is you fix one end of the block into the mountain... And then start building gear step-down systems attached to the other end of the block because you haven't... It's not turning very fast, but nothing can stop it. And so all of dwarven industry around this artifact was centered around uh, how can we build enough gears so that everything is driven by this one miraculous thing. And I loved the economy of that. It's, you know, you only have one Superman... How do we build the turbine the most efficiently so one Superman can, can do enough running? Speaking of Pratchett—
3: You have
4: book of the book. week. Book of the week. Um, Making money by Terry Pratchett. Uh, this is the second uh, Moist von mm-hmm. uh book in the in Going Postal. Uh, Lord Vetinari uh, takes our hero Moist and puts him in charge of the postal system, and and Moist manages to turn stamps into a currency. And in Making Money, uh, Lord Vetinari approaches Moist and says good job creating a currency, now I need you to create a currency. And and puts him in charge of the Ankh-Morpork mint. And it really is a delightful, you know, Pratchett writes social satire. Um, it is not just a satirization of, of banks and commerce and economy, um, but it's a satirization of of humanity. It's, it's Pratchett, at, he is brilliant. Pratchett
3: at his best. My favorite books um, in the entire D of Disc world are Making Money and Going Postal. So um, can't recommend it enough. They are wonderful. amadab ah, you had something you wanted to add. Yes.
2: Um, you know, economies, most people don't, even in science fiction and fantasy, they don't concentrate too much on it. One, because it's the, the jargon that is used for it can be a little bit boring and sometimes intimidating. So most people tend not to. One is because of the, the fact that it is in the fantasy genre, people are willing to suspend their disbelief rather than if it was a nonfiction where you have to get all your rules right. But I found this really interesting um, essay or article on Medium.com, which was between Joe Lindsay Walton, who is the editor of the Economic Science Fiction and uh, Fantasy Database, uh, and he had, he, he's mentioned that you know, um, we, as as far as economics go, sometimes we only think of um, hard currency or something that's monetary. But there can be so many other economies that are based on a non-currency um, medium. So there's something to think about, and that's a really interesting essay. If anyone wants to read about it and just get some more ideas, it's on Medium.com, The Economics of Science Fiction. Mm-hmm. Very interesting article.
3: You know. It's- That kind of segues us into the next question I want to ask, which is, you know, sometimes the economics of science fiction and fantasy just don't make any sense. They really just don't. Uh, The one that Howard and I were chatting about before the podcast is the economics of space invasions. A lot of times if you look at the cost to benefit ratio for moving these ships through the galaxy, which is a really big place in the amount of energy expended that it doesn't make any sense. A lot of, of shipping, intergalactic shipping, just wouldn't make any sense. Most science fiction books and movies just wouldn't work. And fantasy is even worse at this, right? Um, we like to have great, vast, enormous battles that are that are very awesome and epic, and yet the economic systems that would have to be in place to feed these, um, these forces and make this actually work— Just everything collapses if you start asking the hard questions. So my question for you is, how do you approach this in your stories? Where do you hand wave? Where do you not hand wave? Um, How do you do this right so it won't kick people out? And how do you maybe do it wrong that you've seen? (laughs) So in my cyberpunk series, the Mirador
1: series, I was trying to create, you know, the story that I wanted to tell, that had the certain elements that I wanted to tell, that included— the conceit that everybody has a computer installed in their head and that there are drones that can do essentially everything for us. That economically falls apart so fast, especially because I wanted to make sure that this world also included poverty. And so how can all of these poor people have this incredible technology unless it is incredibly cheap? At which point, then why is anyone poor? Like, there's a lot of things that start to fall apart. And I kind of had to do the hand-waving. And get to the point where I was able to come up with a couple of excuses. For example, well, people are poor because drones do all the thing. And so nobody has jobs anymore. But all on the other hand, energy is essentially free because we have all this incredible solar technology and constructing as much of a house of cards as I could. And then saying, what's that over there? (laughs) You know, uh, don't, don't look any closer because this will fall apart, but I need it to be this way in order to tell the story that is
3: exciting to me to tell. Yeah. By its nature, science fiction and fantasy is going to fall apart, almost all of it, mm-hmm. because we are doing things that can't be done. Yeah. By definition, that is what leads us to sci-fi fantasy, um, barring some of the really intense, uh, you know, hard science fictions where they are postulating a few years into the future things that they think we will do and then we do. Um you know, every fantasy book breaks the laws of thermodynamics. Um, just tosses them out the window. Um, as a writer, my job is to make it so that you don't feel like you have to toss everything out the window when you read the book, that I mm-hmm. give you that opportunity to suspend your disbelief. But that also varies very much on genre. A lot of the, the middle grade books that I will read, they don't they don't care about that and mm-hmm. they don't need to. They shouldn't have to because the story is not about that.
2: Yeah. The thing is, if you got really bogged down with making the economics work, the story would not work. Mm-hmm. And for, for us as storytellers, the main thing is I have to make the story work, but I have to make sure that the the reader believes what I'm saying, which basically means making sure that they have confidence in me and my writing. So I would do that with some other techniques and then rely on making sure that they trust me enough to kind of skim past if my economics is not solid. Because,
4: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, previously this season, uh, we've talked about the concept of uh, you get one buy. You (laughs) you get one freebie that the audience is just going to let you have, um, boy, economics is a great place to spend that. Uh, um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the tricks for me is uh, the concept of scarcity, which was mentioned in the, the quote that you gave us earlier, Mahatab. Um In the schlock mercenary universe, it really would be regarded by most people as a post-scarcity economy. And yet, even in post-scarcity, there are things that are scarce. Time is scarce. Locations can only exist once. A unique location is, by definition, scarce. There's only one of it. And so, uh, you know, in your fantasy setting, in your science fiction setting, no matter what you have being provided for people, uh, if time and real estate are things that still function the way they function for us, you can have poverty, you can have wealth, you can have economics, uh, because those things are going to trade it, change hands in some way.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, to extend that metaphor a little further of, you know, you get one buy, you can earn yourself more buys by doing what Mahatab was talking about last month of, I'm going to explain this one thing in detail, and then you're going to trust me. And then that's going to allow me to fudge two or three extra things that I wouldn't have been able to get away with otherwise.
3: Good writing can earn you a ton of buys. I would mm-hmm. agree with that. But so there is an economy of <laughs> economies. <laughs> Let's go ahead and uh, end us here. Mahatab, you're going to give us a writing prompt.
2: Yes. So just uh, kind of going further on what I mentioned earlier, develop a moneyless economy where something is paid for without hard currency. It could be gift-based honor-based, barter-based, but describe how that economy would work and what are the advantages and disadvantages of that economy would be.
3: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.